Welcome to Sometimes There's Side-Eye, a podcast about two friends having real and unfiltered conversations about dogs and people. Listen as we talk about our lives with dogs, training, behavior, share some laughs, and a whole lot of banter. I'm Heather. And I'm Christy. This episode, we're going to talk about fostering, and we are super excited to have Kelsey Ingram on with us. And before we get started, though, if you have not already done so, feel free to pause the podcast and go and subscribe, share. What else do people do with podcasts? Subscribe, share, and rate us. And rate us. Yes, I knew I was missing one. Perfect. (laughs) And then once you've done that, uh, feel free to rejoin us for this conversation. We're so excited to have you, Kelsey. I know it's exciting. Our first guest. Our first guest. Honored and happy to be here. (laughs) And Kelsey, we know her through rescue. We volunteered, both Heather and I have volunteered with Kelsey before. And Kelsey uh, formerly ran the foster program, Almost There Foster Care or almost their rescue now is what they go by. And so we thought Kelsey being a foster and uh, having run a foster program would be the perfect first guest for, for a foster episode. So just starting out, Kelsey, can you maybe introduce yourself and what animals you're living with and maybe your favorite thing about them? Yeah, of course. So yeah, as Christy mentioned, my name is Kelsey Ingram. I recently got married. So just getting used to saying the new name, um, (laughs) putting it out there multiple times. But yes, I am a dog mom of my own, a foster dog mom, um, sometimes a foster kitten mom. And I've been involved in rescue just personally as a volunteer and a foster. And then as Christy mentioned, also in my professional world as well. Permanently, I have two dogs, uh, Millie, who is a nine-year-old basset hound and Munchkin, who is a five-ish year old uh, pit bull. It's super hard to pick just like one favorite thing about them as I'm sure it is for everyone Mm -hmm. but (laughs) Millie is the like most independent little sass queen you've ever met everything is always on her terms and she knows she's the queen so it's her (laughs) world and I just live in it and she's amazing and then Munchkin is is really kind of the polar opposite she thrives on constant attention and she's just the most fun dog I've ever met she could be just like in a dead sleep and I wave a toy and she's just like ready to go. So she's a little crazy, but they are a good balance between each other. Munchie's amazing. And Millie is a, has a special place in my heart as a basset hound. I just oh, love yes. her. <laughs> Millie is everyone's favorite. Millie has fans all around. <laughs> you cannot not love Millie with those long ears and that mm-hmm. saggy body. And like, she's just so funny. But Munchie is so, so fun too. She's just a fun dog. Like I've gotten to meet both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Endless energy. Like anytime you want to play or have a party, Munchkin is, is up for it. That's true. That is true. Munchkin (laughs) has been to my pool and swam in my pool and jumped off the edge. Like she had not a care in the world and not a fear in the world and was just like, away we go. (laughs) She will not stop. (laughs) No. So can you tell us how many animals have you actually fostered? Do you know? Yeah, so I I have counted previously. I think I counted sometime last year just out of curiosity and I think at this point I'm probably floating around like 35 or wow. so. 
And it, it sounds like a lot. Um, I would say that the main reason why that number is so high is because I've had multiple fosters where they were um, moms with litters of puppies. Mm -hmm. So during those times, I will have sometimes 10 dogs in my home, well, which feels insane. <laughs> but but that, you know, that also helps with, with hiking the numbers up there. But yeah, it's, it's at this point, like I do feel like we've had had a lot of variety, kind of seen a lot of things, but I, I truly do just like really enjoy it. Yeah. Christy, do you know how many dogs you've fostered at this point? Not 35. Um, <laughs> well, you do, you do, <laughs> yeah, you do yeah. singles. So I yeah. do singletons. I believe it's right around like nine or 10. Wow. I think. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And just for reference, I have fostered zero <laughs> and, you know, we'll probably talk about a little bit like different people, different strokes yeah. for different folks and yep, why absolutely. I'm at zero. So how do you feel about the term foster failed? I don't have any like strong preference about the term in general, but I think as a concept, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that it makes sense. I mean, if you are choosing to foster fail, you're choosing to adopt, which means that you are no longer keeping them as a foster. But I think overall, my personal opinion is it's a great way to add a new family member to your family because fostering, you know, I'm sure we'll dive into this a little bit more, but it's a really great way to just like find out a lot of information about the dog and kind of do a trial run in terms of making sure if they are a really good fit into your home. So mm -hmm. I think if you are considering to add another family member, doing it through foster is not necessarily a bad way to go about it. Yeah. Christy, you probably have the same feelings. Yeah, I definitely do. And I would say I also don't have a negative connotation with the term foster fail. I know some people do find that offensive, like, cause it, failure is seen as a negative. a negative. I don't, I don't really see it that way. So some people will say like adoption win or like, you know, some other term, but I don't know that we've come up with like a good alternative to foster mm -hmm. fail. And so if we use it in here, we're definitely not it's not a, it's negative a positive. We, yeah. We feel like it's a positive. Yeah. And personally, I, I haven't foster failed all of, all of my dogs have gone out, but there have been some that I think, oh, you could stay and this would be an easy transition into mm -hmm. my life. So I definitely see where that happens mm -hmm. and, and don't think it's a bad thing for people mm -hmm. either. And just so everyone knows, Munchkin or Munchie, as we might call her, is Kelsey's foster fail. I completely understand having spent so much time with her. Why? But do you want to kind of say what made her different? Because you had fostered so many dogs before she became your failure. Yeah, definitely. So I think there needs to be a couple of things that happen in order for like the stars to align with a foster fail. But I think obviously like the dog needs to be the right fit for the whole family. So not just the humans in the family, but also the other dogs in the family. And so um, with Munchkin, just right off the bat, her and Millie, you know, Millie is not much of a player, but mm -hmm. Munchkin kind of brought the puppy out of Millie and and they, they coexisted really well and they wanted to do everything together. And it was just like a really good match. So that was obviously like a huge part of it. And then I also think that you have to be realistic about whether or not you're in a position to add another permanent member mm -hmm. to your family, because I definitely have had other dogs since Munchkin who I would have considered potentially foster failing, but at a point right now with two dogs, it would be, it would be a huge impact to add a third. Mm -hmm especially if I wanted to continue to foster. And, and I think that's been kind of the main driver of why I haven't added a third. 
Um, but I do think that a lot of things just need to kind of fall into place in order for it to work out. I also, you know, I don't think that this is necessarily something that I took into consideration, but Munchkin did need like a specific type of home. Like she did did. require a lot of attention. She needed some structure. She needed an outlet for her energy. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget. I went to, well, so she had been into the shelter and returned a couple of different times at the county shelter. And then when I was fostering her, I took her to a potential adopter's apartment and the first thing she did was she found their dog's water bowl. She dumped it completely over. She she rolled all over in it. And then she had the zoomies around their entire apartment and they were just like, this is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind of what you're getting into though. Like this is a really good example of like, she's being herself and this is Mm -hmm. kind of what you get with, with this dog specifically. And so it just was really good for me, I think, to see that too. You know, she needs a specific home and I I felt Mm -hmm. like I provide that to her. And so not to say that other people couldn't, but it just kind of, I think all seemed to just click and fall into place. Mm -hmm. So after that meet, did that kind of tip the scales a little bit for you? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's always like, once, once you see that there's the potential Mm -hmm. that they're going to go away, it kind of makes you rethink because even if you're considering potentially adopting them ahead of time, I think it becomes real when someone else Mm -hmm. is like Mm -hmm. considering adding them to your family. So I do think it, it, that was around the timing where I was like, okay, maybe I should think about this and think about, you know, what I want to do. Because I think the other thing with fostering is it is a little bit of like a delicate balance in terms of timeline. Like you, you don't want to feel rushed to make a decision, but you also don't want to like get someone else's hopes up and not communicate that you're considering potentially keeping Mm -hmm. this dog and they might be thinking that it's an option to add it to Mm -hmm. their family. So, so it is like a little bit of a balance, but I think, yeah, seeing her (laughs) and their reaction, I was like, (laughs) I think she could be a good fit for my family. (laughs) Yeah. And I will jump off what Kelsey said about the the delicate balance of timing. Yeah. Because Julius is in what I expect to be his forever home now. Um, That's so, a like, big paperwork, announcement. Paperwork hasn't been signed, but he's been there a month. They love him. They send me videos. They ask questions to make sure that they're providing the right care for him. So we love it. But, we love it. And they, I mean, he really tried to fail his introduction. Let me tell you, like he, he was terrible. He was gnawing on my arm nervously. They were trying to pet him and give him treats and he refused to interact with them. And and they said, well, we can see how much he loves you. And we think that we can probably gain that trust. And once he trusts us, he'll love us that way. They could see a potential in him, which I was Mm -hmm. like, if you can see a potential in him and he's this terrible right now, Mm -hmm. like you're just going to love him once he comes out of his shell and is who Mm -hmm. he is. But I will say always the plan was he needs to get in a home. He needs his forever home. This is not his forever home. And I really felt that strongly in my, in my gut. You did. You said all nine months long. This is not my dog. This is not my dog. But from the moment I met him at the shelter, Mm -hmm. I knew he was a good dog. And I really felt like he deserved a chance. Mm -hmm. So when I saw him come up on the E-list, I was, I was pretty distressed about it, but I also felt like I couldn't, there wasn't a lot I could do to step in because I also have some rules surrounding fosters. Like they have to be dog social because I don't do crate and rotate. And so I, which I did create him like when I was gone, but not, you know, but not as a, not as a behavioral requirement. Yes. 
exist, not as a behavioral requirement. And so I was happy I could jump in once a rescue stepped in for him Mm -hmm. to foster him. But I will say nine months was too long for me. After nine months, I was, of course I was attached. He was ingrained in my everyday life and he was so easy and he was such a good dog. He was as good. He was better than I thought he would be. Yes, he was. the easiest he was. dog I've ever had. He's way easier than Lucy. Like he, he was just so easy, but he still wasn't the right dog for me. Yep. But when I let him go, I ugly cried for like four days. Like, Do you want to share what you said to your brother? I said, if, if this doesn't work out, he's not leaving again. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't because there's no again. home that could possibly be better than this one. Number one, right? And number two, because they truly took time to understand him right. and to give him the space to get comfortable. Right. And you had clearly communicated to them what he needed and mm-hmm. how long it would take him to get to the point where he was comfortable, and that it would take patience. And yeah. they had signed up for that. And so it was you communicating and them saying, hey, you know what? We're okay with that. We're in for it. And we're willing to be patient and take the time that he needs to feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Which is And I just felt like, and yeah, I felt like, okay, they were things that I thought would be deal breakers. Like he can be really leash reactive. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh yeah, our last dog was that way. No problem. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. And, and I was you've like, been working not on a big it. Deal. What? <laughs> like, this is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I did feel like one, they were going to give it their all. And if it didn't work, I also just felt like emotionally, I didn't know if I could do it again. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't feel like he was like the right, right. Maybe like not, not that he wasn't the right dog for me, but I just he always was, felt like he had another home waiting for him, like yeah. a better fit for him. And like Kelsey had mentioned about it being the right fit with the dogs you have, you also, although we don't like to talk about it and we choose to want to ignore it, Lucy is in a senior stage of her life and you would really like to enjoy the time with her, which will hopefully be 75 more years and (laughs) be able to really have that one-on-one time with her and had you chosen to you know, continue with Julius, that would not, that would have been a very different dynamic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes me want to like cry about Lucy being old and cry because you were so sad with Julius. (laughs) But now it's like so great. And it's so fun to see him like cuddled up with them and like, he's so happy. And I'm like, okay, I just wish you could tell your foster dogs I'm sending you off to this world and I promise it's going to be okay. Like I didn't give up on you. Like, I think that was the hardest thing. He didn't know. I didn't just give up on him and move him along. You know, like, I wish I could tell them I'm setting you up for success somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. With all that emotion, I have to ask Kelsey, why do you foster? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I know it's, um, it is. It's truly like an emotional roller coaster. I started fostering just because I always wanted to get involved in in rescue and in helping dogs. I've always been a huge dog lover. And 
I think like when you want to get involved in rescue, you really need to figure out what works best for you. So I did volunteer periodically, but whenever I was volunteering, I found it hard just to balance it with my schedule. And I would feel guilty about being away from my own dogs. So I, I just continued to explore other ways that I could, that I could help. And so I tried fostering and luckily I've always had dogs who are very tolerant of, of sharing their home with other dogs. But I do agree with Christy. I think I'm pretty selective and in, in who I foster and I want to make sure that I'm not impacting, you know, my own dogs as well. And so I tried fostering and I just saw the impact that it made and to the dogs and even to myself, like I just, I found it to be just like such like a rewarding experience and a really enjoyable experience. And there is definitely hardship involved as well, but I think like the good totally outweighs the bad. Mm-hmm. And since you just got married, I mean, you went into a relationship, you were fostering during that time. So I guess that's a positive transition for your new husband as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that is a good, it's like a really good point just in general, because I think for someone who is planning on fostering, like you definitely need to make sure everyone in the house is is on board. And so this was a situation where like my husband, he's always enjoyed um, animals, but he really was, he really had like no prior experience into this world or didn't really know a lot about what fostering was. And so a lot of it was just me sitting down and kind of providing some education there and then us giving it a shot. And, but yeah, I think like he was able to now, obviously we've continued to foster. And so Mm -hmm. been able to see those benefits as well, and also finds it very rewarding. And so I also just really enjoy the fact that he was someone who maybe if we were never together would have never fostered or considered fostering. And so now there's, you know, another human in the world that is able to continue to help uh, animals too. So, and I was thinking, how awesome is it that you were someone who was sharing how rewarding the experience is, and now he is another person in the world who's sharing how rewarding the experience is. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's it's so amazing. He works from home a couple days a week, and so sometimes I'll hear him on like just like his Zoom meetings and work, and he'll be like talking about his fosters and just Aww. like... Um, you know, sharing the information about them and yeah. And so, like sometimes showing them on camera. And so it's just like, Aww. so cute to see that. And, yeah. you know, and then also, yeah, like just like his word of mouth to the other people that he's talking to, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of goes full circle, which is really great. Christy, do you have anything to add about why you personally foster? Yeah, I don't even know. I just think I always wanted to foster. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know where that desire came from, but it was uh, a long time ago. And yeah, and I was actually living with my brother when I started fostering, which <laughs> get everybody on board. He was not on board, but he was like, fine, as long as it's your responsibility, whatever, you know, you can do it. Yeah. So, and I think I won him over because it was a really cute yellow lab and our oh. family loves labs. So this like seven-year-old yellow lab that needed a home. And so he was like, well, okay, this will be fine. And then I just was like, I'm in. So I'm just going <laughs> to home. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in my case, like going back to what Kelsey said about, you know, everybody being on board, my husband is not somebody who could foster. I personally feel pretty confident that I could do it and be completely okay emotionally because I can be an ice queen that way. But I think that I could emotionally handle doing it and would actually really enjoy it. But for my husband, he just, he does not 
have the capability of spending time with an animal and then giving them away. And I don't think that that means that you and Christy are cold-hearted bitches. He just, he cannot emotionally handle it. I mean, he found a stray French bulldog last year. Do you remember this, Christy? I do. Literally brought it home within five minutes. He's talking about, oh, if this person like doesn't come and find their dog, I think we should keep him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like this dog has been here five minutes and you're already emotionally in. I'm like, no, (laughs) he just doesn't have that, you know, capability. And he does not tell me no about many things in life and fostering is a hard no. So I really do respect it. But we used to joke and say, oh, we can't foster because of my husband. So we just adopt. (laughs) So we just like adopt here and there and do what you can, which is fine. But it is interesting to think, I I think when someone says, oh, I could never foster because I just love them too much. And I'm like, oh, as to imply Christy and Kelsey do not love their fosters. So (laughs) Kelsey, can you kind of speak to that and sort of give your perspective when you hear things like that? Yeah, I, I hear, I hear that. And then I also hear people who, you know, say they can't foster because they would keep every dog. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like, number one, every, you will love every dog. That's everyone will love every dog. (laughs) And you love them in their own individual way, but you will 100% not want to keep every dog. There are very, very different personalities and very different activity levels. And there are some dogs where when I'm done fostering, I'm like, you know, I need this break. Like I feel really good that they are going to find their people because I know I am not people. Um, and then, you know, there's other dogs that are, it's maybe it's a little bit more emotional and, and, and challenging, but I do think that ultimately if you try out fostering, it is hard. It's not the most easy experience to go through. And so I think Yes, go into it knowing you will love every dog, but you will not want to keep every dog. And I think that once you see find their perfect family, it's so 100% worth it. And then kind of go through this final, like, okay, I, I contributed to that and they're where they need to be. And I did this and 100% take a break from, you know, before you foster again, but that's what kind of makes you ready to foster again. You're like, that experience was so amazing to see them go through that. And so I think I can do this again. Yeah. I mean, everyone's different. The one other thing that I will add is just, I go into fostering very logically. I, again, like we kind of talked about, I know that I can't keep, I don't want a third dog I want to continue to foster and so I I go through this in my head and I'm like I know that this is temporary I will set them up for success I will do everything I can do but they will find their family and I do think you're still going to have the emotions but I think if you kind of put the logic behind it it does help you a little bit I love the way you just said that because Mm -hmm. it actually 100% depicts my husband and I because I go through all of these type of things very logically even adding an own person, my own personal dog, I'm such a logical person when I go through that process. Mm -hmm. And my husband is purely emotional about it. And it's even how we interact with our dogs is described that way. So I think you did an amazing way with describing exactly how different people can be. 
Christy, I don't know. I don't know. That was pretty good. (laughs) It was really good. I will say, I think your first foster is probably the hardest emotionally to, to separate. Like, cause I went into fostering saying I dog sit for people. So what's the difference? Like I'm going to treat this as dog sitting. I just don't know who's picking this dog up at the end of our dog sitting term. And I don't know how long I'll dog sit for. So I went into it with that logic. That's very logical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The problem is nobody tells you there's a point where the dog transitions from looking at you as the dog sitter to looking at you as, as the family member. Mm -hmm. My first foster would look at me. I was like, oh, you believe you're home. Uh, and and there <laughs> always comes a point with fosters, depending on how long you have them, that they do really believe they're home and that you are their people. And that, I think, that was tough with the first foster. I'll be honest, the only reason don't judge me. The only reason I didn't keep my first foster is my relationship with Lucy was not where it is today. And I truly believed I would love him so much more than Lucy that it was not fair to keep him. Like, I can't imagine loving a dog more than I love Lucy now. We were not at that point in our relationship. (laughs) And I thought it's unfair to bring a dog that I will love so much more than my own dog into this when she didn't have a choice. Like she didn't choose this home or me and, and we need to work on that before. But you considered the welfare, you considered the welfare of the dog that you own. Yeah. And he was literally only with me for like three weeks, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was already thinking I'm going to keep him. So it was, was good. He didn't stay long because everyone in my family loved him too. But yeah. And I would say once you get through your first one, that's your hardest emotional one. And then you can more logically approach Mm -hmm. each one. Like okay, this was a good experience and they did find a great family and I want to provide that for other dogs so that they can also find great families. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a good distinction what you said just around once they look at you like they're home because I do think that it is different than dog sitting, right? Like they don't have the stability of a home and they don't know that they have a family. And so I'm kind of dealing with that a little bit right now with, with Ella, my foster, she's very young and you can tell, like, I mean, she came in in horrible conditions. So obviously has had not had much care in her life, but probably really has never been like an indoor dog. And it was very apparent just by how confused and bewildered she was with everything in a home. And she's now been with us a little bit over a month, but I would say just her integrating with my dogs and watching that and the confidence she literally thinks that she's part of the pack with them now and the way that she looks at me and follows them and you can tell that she kind of has settled in and and that part does make it really hard but I also look at the the fact that she came in in the beginning to me and did, did not do that and so in just like a short period of time, she was able to kind of get that comfortability and and open up and decompress. And and I think dogs are so resilient and amazing. Mm. Like they're, you know, that you're setting them up into a a good next phase of their life. And and I think it's going to just make that even easier for them. But not to say it's not hard. The puppy dog eyes are a thing. So (laughs) (laughs) it's rough. And I think it's a good time to talk about how fostering impacts rescue in general. And so when we say rescue everybody today, we're just talking about the shelter system. We're talking about different breed rescues. We're talking about just dog adoption in general. So Kelsey, do you want to kind of touch on, since you were a foster coordinator, all the different ways that fostering impacts rescue? 
Yeah. I mean, so obviously, first and foremost, it's a huge impact to the animals. Um, So you can see so much change and so much transition in the animals just in such a short amount of time, kind of like what we were just talking about. They go from entering your home and really unsure and afraid to just just really learning your routine and learning everything about your house and and just kind of becoming part of the, the family for this period of time. And so you really see their personalities open up. You see them gain so much confidence. And so that's an amazing, amazing thing for rescues because it definitely improves adoptability. Mm -hmm. I think if you're adopting a dog from a a shelter or a rescue and they have not been in a foster home, there's a lot more two parts of this. But number one is that there's a lot more limited information if they have not been in foster. And then number two, I think for the dogs, like some of these dogs have never been in a home before. So like you opening up your home to them and teaching them about what it's like to be in a home is really setting them up for success to be in a forever family, because then they're not starting from scratch. They're able to go into their next home and and know the basics. And then that information that you're providing to the rescue about their personality and their activity level and their routines, again, is setting them up for success, but then also finding, letting them find their perfect family, their perfect fit. So that's a huge, huge impact because I think it helps like rescues and shelters set up those adoptions that are truly forever and and not the ones that are going to just last a week and and be returned because they didn't have all of that knowledge or that insight. That's, I think, first and foremost, I think the biggest, biggest thing. But then obviously I think the number one thing I think that always gets talked about is just that fostering really does save lives. And you opening up your home to a foster opens up a kennel at the rescuer shelter. And I think that that's just, there's no better impact to that because there's more lives that can be saved. And it's just like a win-win scenario overall. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, Christy and I talk a lot about dogs having their perfect fit. And I do think that if we are able to match the right dog with the right human, the right family, then that is such a major impact because that dog's never coming back. And we want to make sure that a dog is in the right home for both that dog and the humans, because we want it to be a beautiful relationship that's enjoyable and everyone has good welfare. And so if that dog is coming from a foster situation, and you know you have all of this information going in first of all the transition wow and then also just knowing exactly what you're getting into and having the ability to to make that really good match yeah christy's Christy's shaking her head yes i'm agreeing yeah (laughs) yeah and i think too there's a lot of things like in rescue even the best rescues they can't see because Mm -hmm. maybe rescue is not a home environment no matter how great the rescue is it's just not the same as a home environment and so how a a dog reacts to things in the shelter might be totally different than how they Mm -hmm. react to things at home which I think is important you know like when I took on Jenny as a foster no one knew she was like she had some resource guarding around food until I accidentally found out (laughs) when she tried to bite Lucy's face um well she did make contact um and but they wouldn't have known that because there wasn't an opportunity to see that you know I obviously wasn't looking for a forever home for her because she was a hospice foster but it was something that if if it was a different situation I would have been able to say hey here's how to easily 
negotiate this, you know, yeah. here's how to, to work around this. Um, I found these things work well if there's a, this situation or, you know, I can put her in everyday situations and realistically see how unfold. Yeah. I mean, even something as simple as being potty trained mm-hmm. or being crate trained, yeah. like rescues and shelters don't have that insight. And it's so interesting because that's like one of the first questions that a lot of adopters ask, are they potty trained? Are How are they in a crate? And if you think about the rescue or the shelter environment, yeah, we can, we can guess if we take them out and they immediately go potty in the yard, they probably are mostly potty trained. But again, a new place, a new experience, like maybe not. And same thing with a crate, they're in a kennel, so you can kind of gauge it, but it, it is different. It's different being put in a crate and left in a quiet environment versus mm-hmm. like being in a loud kennel day after day. So those are just such simple, basic things that only really fosters can provide to you or adopters. But, you know, at that point, kind of like we talked about, you want the adopters to be set up for success and not finding things out a day mm-hmm. or two in that are, that are really challenging for them to work on. So Literally the first question that I asked Tater's foster. So Tater was in a foster home with four other dogs. And the first thing that I asked his foster dad was, is he crate trained? That was my first question. I already knew that he was dog social, people social, and children social because those were on my application and they absolute hard stop for me if those weren't okay, which I know I don't have kids, but I also don't want a child, want a dog that's like aggressive towards children. Um, That was my first question to him. And Tater had been in foster for a few months with them. And the information that they provided to us is exactly why a week later, we packed up all of our dogs and drove from Arizona to Oklahoma to meet Tater. If he had not been in a foster home, we never would have adopted him. I will tell you straight up. And that's a big deal. Yeah. And Tater is exactly what we expected. I mean, he's a bulldog, but from a behavior standpoint and all his little quirks and everything that he, he is, they, Cody and Amber gave us all of that information. And we knew from the get-go exactly who he was. And that's saying something too, to, to have someone who's so experienced with dogs say, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have adopted this dog without that information. Yep man, what we can provide to new dog owners to set them up for success too. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's something. Yeah. Because if I'm a super experienced person and I can handle a lot and I've seen a lot and I, I wouldn't necessarily at this point go to a shelter and just pick up a dog because dog sociability is such a big deal to me. Yeah. I think that's a really big deal. Well, we already touched on how does it impact fosters themselves fostering. So I, unless you guys have anything to add, I think we probably talked about that. Kelsey, do you have something to add there? Yeah. So the only thing I was going to add there, and this is a little bit more. So with this question, we're talking about the impact, the human fosters, not the dog foster. (laughs) It could be be both. I use those terms a little interchangeably sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, Um, we do. But yeah, I think just one of the things that you should consider as a human um, that is looking to foster, and it's, it's an impact that I think can be negative, but it just depends how you, how you look at it. But fostering, it does impact your schedule. It impacts your time. It impacts your attention. It impacts your dogs. And so I think when you are getting ready to go into a foster situation, all I would say is do it at a time where you don't have a million other things going on. Like if work Mm -hmm. is super overwhelming right now, like you probably don't need to 
be working on integrating another dog into your home. But if you have some extra time and you have the space, then then go for it and try it. And I think that's like one of the best benefits uh, of fostering is that it's super flexible. Most rescues or shelters that you foster with, you can 100% do it on your own time. So just like think about the impacts to your day-to-day schedule and just make sure that it's at a time that it's going to be beneficial to you rather than stressful to you. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into what to consider when fostering that time piece and then what the rescue expects of you. So different rescues, I think, have very different expectations. I fostered Julius through AZK9 because they knew me. They had trusted me with dog intros, which then I quickly put back on their plate after after one failed dog intro. I was like, nope, it's back to you guys. Because um, Julius was so attached to you that it was giving us yes. false reads. That's why. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't setting him up for failure in what I was doing. Cause, and then I was like, so nervous, like <laughs> doing dog interest. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put this back in your court, but really my responsibility with him was the, the day-to-day, but bringing him out to meet and greets or possibly setting those things up. There wasn't a lot weekly or that I needed to do. I would just share him on my own social media and then tag them so that they could reshare his his photos and things like that. But other places I fostered through do require, hey, every Saturday we have adoption events. So you need to be able to bring your dog every Saturday, or we expect that you you bring your dog from this time to this time. And so you need to be there before 7 a.m. and pick them up by 5.30 p.m. Well, that's that's a commitment, you know, on a weekend or on a, any time, honestly. <laughs> so some of those things to consider too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If we're jumping into the the things to consider when fostering. Um, it seems we are. So let's roll. <laughs> yeah, this is how it works, Kelsey. We don't go by the by the outline. I just jump wherever I feel. No, I love that. It's I do a think... loose outline. <laughs> all related and it's all relative. Yeah. yeah, I think the the expectations of you is a huge call out, whether it's whether it's adoption events. If you're fostering a medical dog, there's going to be a, a large amount of expectation to be available for appointments as you need them because you never know what's going to pop up and also like medications and and that comfortability. So I think definitely talk to the rescue or the shelter about, you know, what this means for you and the impact. And there's all different types of dogs that you can foster and some are much more of a commitment than others. So that's something that I always recommend that people consider as well is just like your your day-to-day time commitment. So obviously if you're going to foster a, like a newborn puppy, it's going to be a lot more time out of your day than fostering like a senior dog typically. And then I think also if you're fostering one single puppy versus a litter of puppies with a mom, it's a different experience. So I think just be kind of, just ask for that information in terms of how much time you would realistically expect to be dedicating in each day for you, because it does going to vary. And I think your time is going to vary. And then I think the other call out that I would make, and this kind of came from, from Christy, but just the overall time commitment. So some rescues will have a set period for the foster length, which is amazing. And some are more open-ended. So I know with Almost There, the way that their program works is that you foster them until the day before they become adoptable. And then once they're adoptable, they go back to the shelter until they get adopted. So I think one of the benefits there is that when they send out foster pleas, they're like, we need a foster from this date to this date. And it's a really set time frame, and you can easily plan for it. I think when you're foster with other organizations where 
they don't have a physical location or physical presence, then sometimes you're expected to hold on to the dog until they get adopted. And so with what Christy did with Julius, nine months is a long time. You can never really anticipate if you're going to be available for nine months straight. And so I think those are all things to consider, but I think just be open in your communication with the rescue about what you can realistically provide or the time that you can dedicate to it. And I think if you get started fostering or you do a foster with an organization and you find that that's not the right fit for you, but that you really enjoyed the foster experience overall, I would say, hey, just say, I really like fostering, but I think I'm going to go try it with another organization and take that experience and know these are the things that are really important to me and make yourself Mm -hmm. a little list and then clearly communicate that. And if you talk to some, another organization and you don't feel like that's the right fit for you, there are so many organizations for you to go through. If you enjoy the experience, but it wasn't the right fit with the org, don't just write it off. Go ahead and find a different organization that fits exactly what works for you. Yeah, Yeah, a thousand percent. And don't feel bad about it because you're still helping dogs. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think like kind of the basics are most organizations are going to cover your medical expenses uh, for that foster dog and then food. And I personally have found as a foster, a lot of times it was easier for me to just say, I'm just doing this as a donation for the food because I'm going to be honest, most organizations aren't keeping track of, oh, you give two cups of food twice a day. So this food will run out by this date. So there's a lot of communication that would be needed on my part to be like, hey, we need this type of food ordered to us by this date, you know, consistently. And to me, I was like, well, I I have funds set aside for donations each month out of my budget. So this is what it's going to now, because it to me was easier than asking every month or whatever. And it's not that any of the organizations wouldn't have done that in a heartbeat. It just, for me, felt easier. But it might be that if you can't afford a dog right now because you're feeling like, you know, dog food is expensive or, you know, vet care is expensive, this might be a way to get your foot in the door too because most organizations will cover vet and food costs at the very minimum. But then I always was like, well, here's some more toys and here's this and here, <laughs> let's see if you like a pool. Do you like the the thing that shoots water? That's 35, you know, so it's always something. <laughs> at least you can write all of that off. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But then you can tell your whoever adopt, they love squeaky toys, but they hate these kind of toy. Yeah, that's true. So we definitely jumped around. So where are we at? Let's go back to Kelsey. What's your favorite part about fostering? And then what's the hardest part? Oh, it's hard to pick. I feel like a favorite part, but I think overall, it's just seeing animals build that confidence. I think there's been so many times where I've had an animal come into the home and it's just so clear that this is the first time they've been inside a house, which is just wild. But it's amazing kind of seeing that where they're like, what are these sounds? What are these smells? What is this place? And going from that to just like very quickly just feeling so much better and so much more confident and finally opening up and having fun and feeling like they're able to just really thrive. (laughs) And so that to me is so fun because it happens differently for every animal too. Sometimes 
with puppies, for example, I mean, puppies are puppies. I think Heather, you have puppies coming into your house all the time. Mm. Even even every puppy is different, but like typically, you know, a puppy is going to come in and be initially like, what's happening? I'm nervous. Um, But then their puppiness kicks in and they're running around and playing and having fun and they see a toy and they're like, well, this is, this is great. I'm not scared anymore. Whereas you might have an older dog who takes a little bit longer and and needs you to go a little bit slower and doesn't want to have fun and just needs some quiet and some rest and some peace, but it's, it's great to see just the transition overall. And I think that's my favorite part. Christy, what's your favorite part? Ooh, that's a tough one. I know I wrote the question. Uh, down I know, and, you did. And yet I didn't think through you it You did myself. that to yourself. I think I have different favorite parts with each foster mm-hmm. too. So sometimes like my favorite part is them getting their forever home and seeing how happy they make this family or how happy that family makes them like what a perfect fit is and sometimes it's it's literally being able to say this dog would have been put to sleep if I hadn't stepped up you know or like with Jenny my favorite part was that she didn't have to spend her final days even though it was a year and three months (laughs) final days in a shelter environment, you know, but I do believe that Ginny lasted longer because she was not in a shelter. She was with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably very true. (laughs) So yeah, different parts for each one, but I think each dog brings their own individual joy. So just their dogness, I guess, just enjoying each individual. But like Kelsey said, I've had some that clearly have not been in a home before. And to see those big transitions are really fun too. So then Kelsey, what's the hardest part? I mean, I think typically the hardest part is is always going to be just kind of giving them up. Um, yeah. I feel like, especially when you're like to Christy's point about having different favorite parts with different dogs, I think it's also different hardest parts with different dogs. And I think obviously some dogs you're naturally going to get a little bit more attached to, but there's also the dogs, if you foster a medical dog and you see the transformation and you're like, I've put in just so much effort and care and like got them here. And you obviously want them to go off and thrive, but there's a part of you that's like, you just feel extra protective because you're like, I brought them back to health and I committed to this and and it's, it is really hard. But I think that, you you know, we already discussed the rewards and the benefits of it too, but I think you're always going to kind of have that, that hardship. I also think kind of going back to the key considerations question a little bit, depending on the rescue or the organization that you foster with, sometimes you will meet the forever family and sometimes you will not. And so I Mm, think that's a huge, great point. Yeah. Huge consideration. And I think, so when you are giving them up and you don't meet the family, it's really hard because there's a lot of unknowns there and you kind of have to just place the trust into the rescue to, to find them that great fit. And then when you do meet the family, I think there's definitely more of a sense of relief almost. You feel totally comfortable and confident with them, but it's still, you know, the emotion's still there. But I think that is just like a really important thing to consider because I think, again, different things for different people. Sometimes it's harder to meet the family. Sometimes it's easier to just be like, you know, I'm going to let the rescue do their thing and match them up. So just kind of consider that. And then I think my second hardest part is just balancing time and attention sometimes. For the most part, I love the chaos. I love kind of 
bouncing back and forth, but there is usually a period of time for me that my fosters are not necessarily integrated with my dogs. And, and sometimes it's young puppies who they're, they're too young, they're bottle babies. They don't need to be introduced to my dog. Sometimes it's a mom with pups. Who's not going to want my dogs near her. Sometimes it's like Ella, for example, she had a cold when she came in. And so, especially if you're doing a little bit of separation between your dogs and the foster and you're working and you're doing everything else, um, it's hard to kind of find the, the balance there, but I think you just have to, you know, do your best and, and it's still, you know, you're still doing more than they would get if they were in a shelter environment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great point too, even though it, it might not feel perfect as you're trying to balance all of that or learning to balance that it's still more than they probably would have gotten in a shelter environment. Do you have anything to add for the hardest part for you personally, Christy? Because you didn't get to meet Julius's people. Oh, you did for his first. I did. I did. You just didn't didn't realize that the second meet was going to go so well that he wasn't coming back. Yeah. I thought I was dropping him off for like a weekend sleepover. And then, um, and then it, he just didn't come back, but it was great timing. Everybody it was, was there. It was, it was the right decision. And I love that the rescue app made sure I was okay with that. Hey, we did this. Is this okay? You guys are the rescue. Of course. Yes. I trust you. So maybe also another consideration work with somebody you trust. Yeah. But as far as hardest parts, I think Kelsey has a, a good point, like different hard parts for different dogs too. For Jenny, the hardest part was figuring out how to make her stop destroying my entire home. Like that was, <laughs> that was hard. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. And, and I yep. kept making her world smaller and she kept getting worse and worse. And then I just let it go. And and I was like, oh, you stopped eating my walls. That's fantastic. And only my shoes. I'll, and, I'll go and- with can we say that Ginny was an isolated experience? This is not, you don't normally have fosters that eat your walls no. and your shoes. <laughs> no, this is not the normal experience. And I think I had always said, like, if I ever had a dog, like a foster dog, I would not have put up with that. But Ginny warmed her way into my heart. So mm-hmm. the rescue absolutely would have taken her back in a heartbeat. Yeah. So know that, like they stood behind me with whatever that decision was. And I chose I did this to myself again. <laughs> and, and we always thought Ginny was on death's door for how long? So we're like, well, a year and three months. <laughs> she, I know, but you went into it thinking that she was on yep. death's door. And yep. so it was like, well, let's let Ginny live her best life because she's going to die tomorrow. And then tomorrow became a year and three months. <laughs> yes, exactly. So different hard parts. I, I would say for my hospice dogs, obviously the final goodbye was by far the hardest part but yeah usually like the goodbyes are the hardest Mm -hmm. for any of them I would say yeah yeah and we did kind of touch on this but there are different types of fosters that are needed so not only do you want to consider what your life looks like what your current situation is and what works for you that also opens up the door for more possibilities. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, right now, Kelsey has a medical foster. Christy has done hospice foster. Kelsey has done moms with pups. She's done, you've done bottle babies. You know, there's all different variety of 
situations, there's short-term foster. There's situations where a foster is going on vacation and they need someone else to take over, which is a very limited amount of time. So there's all these different ways for people to get involved and to even maybe get their feet wet and decide if it's something that they think that they can do over the long haul. I think it's important to note that there are these different possibilities and different ways that you can go about doing it. If it's something that you think that you can handle. Uh, even day fosters. Oh um, yes. That's a great I always point. forget about day, day fosters, yes. but they're fantastic because it's literally just getting the dog out of the shelter for a few hours or a day or overnight, something like that. They're very short, but it still gives that dog time to, to decompress. Almost always, I feel like they sleep really hard on whatever the car ride is after they've gone on an adventure and then they sleep really hard because it's quiet. So it just gives them a little time away and some one-on-one time with people. And it's a nice way to tell the shelter too, hey, this dog is a fantastic patio dog or tried the patio, not a patio dog, (laughs) but you know what they were great at? They were great at sniffing around in the grass and snuggling or, you know, whatever it is. Kelsey, you've done day fosters too, right? I have. Yeah. And day fosters are like Christy said, like, you know, it's an amazing alternative. And if you know that your dogs are not going to do well with another dog coming into the home, it's a great solution for it. You're still getting the dog out and obviously weather permitting, there's a whole ton of activities that you can do with them and places that you can take them. And and it's a great experience for them. And even just a couple hours to Christy's point, how do they do in a car? You know, how do they do on a patio? How do they do just like seeing people in an environment outside of the shelter? All of those things are super valuable and super helpful. Mm -hmm. And so it is a really great alternative. And a lot of, I think, rescues are starting to implement programs that are similar. So I guess technically I have fostered because I have day fostered. So, oh, look at that. I've done day foster with you. So yeah. yeah, And I do believe that Day fostering is, I'm so glad you brought it up, Christy, because it is another opportunity. You have a weekend where your kids are with their dad and you're alone. Go to the shelter, go day foster a dog. You have an opportunity to have an open day and you can go. A lot of companies offer volunteer days. If you get volunteer days from your company, go day foster, get yourself out. You don't have a dog currently, but you want to go hiking and you want to have a hiking buddy, ask the shelter, ask a rescue. Hey, do you have a dog who's super active, who needs to go and get their energy out? There's all kinds of options. So day fostering is definitely a huge, a huge benefit to dogs. And you might just get that dog adopted. Yeah. And I've done even like when Lucy had knee surgery years ago, her first knee surgery, and she couldn't hike, I would go and get a day foster and do hikes with day fosters because I was going hiking every weekend anyway. So I was like, man, my hiking buddy, I don't know what to do if I don't have a leash in my hand. Like this feels weird. So I was like, ah, I'll get a day foster. And it does a lot of people are like, oh, that dog's so cute. And then you have an option to be like, hey, here's where they're available at. I've seen they look how cute they are and fun. Yeah. And I would just say, know what your capabilities are, know what you're able to handle and be very clear. You know, like we've already talked about, communicate very clearly to whomever you're talking to. Hey, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I can handle. And are you able to give me some information on a dog who would be a good fit for what I'm able to deal with? Yeah. Okay. So Kelsey, what do you wish that people knew about fostering? that we haven't already touched on. 
Hmm. Or you want to highlight maybe? I think we did already touch on it, but I'll just kind of highlight it again. But I think for every person that just feels like they can't foster because they feel like they would keep every dog or it would be too hard, I would just challenge them to try it at least once and just do it once. And if it, if it is not a fit for you, not a fit for your family, that's okay. Like I said, there's other ways to get involved, but I do think that to not try it just because there, you may keep a dog, I think is just, it's hard because those dogs, like those dogs need you and those dogs deserve the opportunity. However, I will say that if you can't foster and you know you can't foster, that's okay. And don't feel guilty about it. I think there is always a lot of pressure to foster sometimes seeing rescues posting for fosters and there's always going to be a need for fosters everywhere. But if you like realistically know, like, you know, like Heather knows this is not necessarily something that she can do in her house, that's okay. And I think when you kind of push yourself to foster and you know, it might not be the best situation, you're just adding extra stress to you, maybe the foster dog, your dogs. So I think just like be realistic about, about your situation. And there's a million ways to get involved and help. Christy, what do you have to add? Yeah, I I totally agree with what Kelsey said. I guess I wish to, and I know that this is probably on, well, I know it's on the sheet because I wrote it down. (laughs) You wrote the sheet. (laughs) (laughs) But just that idea of this dog looks like their home. Mm. I wish people knew when they said things like, it looks like this dog already has their forever home or they're already home when you're trying to market your foster dog. I wish people would trust fosters enough to know that they want the best for their dog. And and if you trust the foster enough to keep them, as you should trust the foster enough to also know that maybe they're not the best home for that dog. Yes. I'm not offended when people ask me do you think you'll keep this dog? Literally every single person asked me if I was keeping Julius. He was with me nine months and I couldn't stop singing his praises. Of course, people are going to say, are you sure you're giving rid of him? Are you sure that you're not going to keep him? Are you sure he's not home? But once a foster says, hey, they're not home. I am, I am going to rehome them. I'm going to find them their forever home. Trust them until until they say otherwise, because it's, it's hard to keep explaining that to people over and over. Like I I would say it takes an emotional toll. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I I probably explained it no less than 30 times with Julius. Oh my gosh, for sure. It's it's all well-meaning people. So I'm not offended, but I do, I do think it's harder for new fosters too. Like you kind of get in grant. You're like, yep, this is part of the, okay, roll call. (laughs) Now everybody asks, like, are you sure the dog's not home? So you come to expect it, but I don't think it's something that should necessarily have to be expected from every foster. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I actually, I follow a, an account and it's this girl who fosters and she's based in North Carolina. I don't personally know her. I just kind of stumbled upon her and she has an adult dog who's about like eight or nine years old, I think at this point, and she fosters puppies all the time. So she's a puppy foster and she has a lot of followers and every single time she has a new puppy there's just multiple people commenting, oh, how could you give this puppy up? Look how cute they are. Look how adorable they are. And every single time she's having to address the fact that 
her adult dog is reactive to other adult dogs. And just Mm. because he's good with puppies and he's enjoying their presence as puppies, she does not know what that's going to look like down the road. And she knows that she's not the best long-term fit for these puppies. And she can help them obviously get set up for success and find their homes. But she does, she gets frustrated. It's the same thing over and over. And she's like, look, I'm doing what I can do. And I know that my dog is really receptive to puppies, but not not receptive to adults. And that's the reality that I live in and I'm still going to foster, but without fail, every single time she gets a new puppy and every single time people see the puppy with her other dog, they're like, how could you give this puppy up? And so I do agree. It kind of puts this extra guilt almost on you of like, well, should I keep the puppy or should I keep the foster? And, and no, I mean, you know, in your heart and, and to Christy's point, people need to trust the fosters, especially when you've done it enough and you know that what's right for your home and you know what you can do and what you can't do. I've had a few comments to myself already about Ella just because she's a really great fit with both Millie and Munchkin in terms of like her play style and her activity and she bounces back and forth between them really nicely. However, yeah, I I've, I I mentioned this earlier, but my permanent count has to stay at two. I want to continue to fostering. I can't take on a third. I think I would go crazy then continuing to try to foster with the third. So I think, yeah, just just trust trust the foster and and know that they're gonna find a great fit. Mm-hmm. Like you you can provide them with a great fit, but like they're gonna find a great long term fit. And I have mm-hmm. a friend in Pennsylvania who has she's not fostering currently, but she's up in those numbers, just like you, Kelsey, 20, 30 dogs, you know, that she's fostered over the last couple decades. And her number one thing when she has a dog is the pressure that she feels. I believe her last foster was a Boston Terrier. And this dog was so freaking amazing. And Mm -hmm. she fit in so well with her other two dogs. And she got so much pressure on social media to the point that I started answering for her (laughs) and saying, Hey, she's not staying, you know, because I knew that my friend was tired of explaining. And it was like this exhaustion of, Mm -hmm. Hey, if I keep her, I cannot foster anymore. And also my dogs are getting older. And, and honestly, it doesn't even matter why you're not willing to keep the foster or don't want to keep the foster. It doesn't matter. The point is, hey, if you feel the need to ask someone why they're not keeping that dog, I would just say, take that energy and go share that dog because that is super productive. And that is something that you can do that's helpful because you don't know how much that foster is struggling internally and emotionally with the conflict already. And they don't need the added pressure and the added conversation of why they're not keeping the dog. And the reason could be really personal. And I just think that it's not a conversation that people need to go ahead and be asking. I was actually answering for Christy too, because I had coming people coming to me. I can't believe Christy's not going to keep Julius. And I'm like, I can. But Christy and I have very, very, very upfront, honest conversations about what we want our lives to look like with our dogs. And so mm-hmm. it was easy for me to say, no, I completely understand. But just if, if you feel the need to say to someone, oh, how can you not keep them? Just shh, yeah. take that and share the dog because you never know. You might find them an even better home. Yeah. I will say it was helpful to have Heather because 
you know, after nine months, like you do start questioning like your own sanity. I know I, I said that this was not the right fit, but am I just, what's wrong with me? Why isn't it the right fit? It's probably the right fit. I could probably mm-hmm. just keep this up. And Heather would come back to me and say, remember, these are the things you said you wanted and and this is not what's being met. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh, right. This is reality. I forgot. Like I needed one sane person to be in my mm-hmm. life being like, you can change your mind, but this is what you said mm-hmm. before. This is a reminder. This um, is my reminder. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which was helpful. And I'm not always the negative logical person because no. a friend of ours who was fostering a dog for short-term fosters to give foster mm-hmm. breaks also came to me years ago and said, we're thinking about adopting her. And can you please be the logical person who talks to me about this? And I laid out X, Y, Z and said, I don't know. I think this is your dog. And for anybody who knows Monica and Evan and Sasha, that is the dog. And I told them that I thought that she was there forever and she's been with them for years now. So I'm not always the negative Nancy who's like, this is the dog for you. you but I am, you would no, have been I'm so very, happy with mm-hmm. Julia staying with me. I'm just but very you just, logical. You just reminded me like, Hey, remember, these are the things that you said were important mm-hmm. and those may have changed. Mm-hmm. Have they? And I'm like, no. And you're like, well, consider mm-hmm. that. Well, there you go. <laughs> But I've also had so many people genuinely ask, do you mind if I ask why you're not keeping him? And that I don't mind at all because I can say, yes, I do mind if I really do mind, but honestly, I never mind. And I'm an open book. So I can tell people, Hey, here's honestly why I'm not keeping this foster. But that's coming from a place of inquisitive nature and asking to understand. It's not a judgment. And I think that's the difference. That's There's a huge difference. Kelsey's shaking her head going, yeah. 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 I I don't think foster's ever mind like answering like genuine questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that just don't know a Mm -hmm. lot about fostering. And so if they're asking that question as a question, I think it's helpful to provide that information to them. And even if they're, even with adoption, like a lot of people don't necessarily know all the answers. And so I think if they're asking you, why would you, why would you recommend that your foster dog doesn't go to a home with kids and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're asking you that question and it's, you know, here's why. And it's not to say they're a bad dog, but they like to use their mouth a lot or they jump a lot. Or I think if you're, they are asking to get information 100% Mm -hmm. different than kind of the, the judgy comments. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and and now we can just tell people, here's a podcast episode. You can listen to all the ins and outs of fostering <laughs> and ex- understand exactly the goods, the bads, and the uglies and have an um, honest conversation about it. <laughs> yep. If we're thinking about, okay, for example, in my case, I am unable to foster. What can I do to maybe support people who are fostering if that's the place where I decide that I would like to help? I think the number one thing is just help them network their dog. I think that you see a lot of people who are networking dogs for rescues that they follow and and things like that. But I think as a foster, the very best feeling is when your foster dog gets adopted by someone you know or someone in your network. And so the more that 
people we know can share. And the more that there's kind of that connection at some point to their forever home, it's an amazing feeling. And I, I also think the other thing is just continue to to provide the education. So even with like a podcast like this, if they listen to this podcast and like, wow, this was super helpful. I don't think fostering's for me. Still pass it along because who knows, like maybe someone who wasn't considering fostering listens to this and they're like, oh, this really inspired me to be a foster. So I think just continuing to help the education and, and network the fosters. Yeah, because a lot of people might not have known all the different opportunities and different ways you can foster. What would you say, Christy, for you? I definitely know you're going to like scream from the rooftops networking. Yeah, definitely network. It was very helpful to have people share, Julius. I would say if you have a skill and are willing to share that with fosters, Julius got adopted because his family continued to see photos I took. They said, we just felt very connected to those photos. We saw them and felt a connection. So if you're a photographer, then if you could offer that to some foster families, that's amazing Mm because then they have content to post Mm because I'm going to tell you, it's hard to come up with content. I just went through Julius's photo library that I had on like Google drive. And it was like 5,000 pictures of him sleeping. (gasps) I deleted all of those. I was like, okay, you get 1300 pictures to the new family. And I deleted 4,000 sleeping pictures (laughs) because that's what you get on a day to day. But if you have a skill that you could share with a foster family, or if you can step in for things like dog sitting so that they don't have to maybe go back to the shelter or, or have to come out of pocket for a dog sitter. Those types of things are are helpful. Also, my friends would drop off toys, which was just like fun way for them to be involved. And I appreciated it because I was going through extra toys because I have been, I had two dogs destroying toys instead of just Lucy. So there's a lot of fun ways to encourage And I guess for sure, just don't try to pressure your friends into keeping all their fosters. Mm -hmm. That's a really great way to to support them too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if the foster happens to be a photographer, like Christy is, I have gone with her to handle Julius so that she could take photos. So maybe it's that your skill is just handling a dog and you can take a couple hours in the morning and say to that foster, Hey, do you want to try and go out and get some photography of your foster dog? And so that you do have some content. Or maybe you're a person who's good at writing copy and you can ask your friend who's fostering, hey, do you want to give me like 20 keywords about your foster and I'll write you 10 captions that you could use for pictures? The possibilities are endless. Definitely. Yeah, I love that. I was just going to say, I love that about just offering up your skill sets. I think there's dog trainers out there that dedicate their time to, to working with some shelter dogs. I think if you have that skill set, share it, please. We need it. But then also, yeah, like I've had also had friends who are just, Hey, I have leftover puppy pads. Like, is this something that you could use? And so I think part of it is again on the education, but knowing the general supplies or knowing what would be helpful. Cause sometimes people have things, things or resources that are helpful that they just don't necessarily know are going to be helpful. And I love that because I think like people can get involved through the foster without actually fostering. And I think that they're still making a big impact there. So for sure. Yeah. I did have one more thing that I wanted to really briefly cover. And I think because Christy, you've also experienced this, but I do think that a big reason why some people are hesitant to foster is because they don't know how it's going to impact their dogs, their personal dogs, their babies. And so I do think that there's just a couple of considerations when you are thinking about fostering, but you have dogs in the home. And so just kind of wanted to chat through that a little bit, just really briefly. 
And I think that, again, this is where all organizations are different, but some organizations will provide dog intros between you, your dog and the foster dog. And maybe the dog that you originally intended to foster, it doesn't work out with your dogs, but maybe there's another dog that will. And that's definitely happened to me a handful of times. There's also times where they may not provide a dog in- intro if um, they need to be kept separate initially for medical reasons. And so those are just all things to consider. But ultimately, if you need support in terms of introducing your dogs to your foster dogs, a lot of organizations are willing to provide that support and just make sure that it is a comfortable experience. And then I think just with your dogs and your foster, if you do integrate them and and have them just kind of in your home throughout the day, the one thing I would just make sure to remember is just still give them each their own dedicated alone time and their own dedicated attention. Cause I think that's, that's super important. And I think that will make your dogs just make sure that they still feel like they're getting your love and attention. And I think it's easier on your dogs transition wise as well. And we've talked before about how Christy likes to do short-term fosters because it's what's best for Chris, best for Christy, best for Christy, but also (laughs) best for Lucy. Yeah. Lucy loves having another dog in the house short term. And then she's like, all right, like I'd like to be queen of the castle again. I love that you brought this up, Kelsey, because there are some considerations I make. And a lot of people feel like this is really unfair, but Lucy sleeps in the bed with me and I don't let fosters do that because I want her to have one thing that is all hers. And none of my fosters have seemed super upset about that. I do let dogs, I dog sit for up in Tater. the bed. Tater, he's great. No, um, he's not. He's <laughs> he just sleeps in the same spot all night. No, he doesn't. She yes. lies. But anyway. Um, but there are things that I do just for Lucy that, that I make sure that she has her own time and, and things like that. But also there have been dogs that have gone to me that it didn't work with that dog, but then they brought out a second or a third dog and they went great with that. So I, I was like, well, this one's fine. Like I'll just take this one instead. But also I had one that was fantastic for several weeks and then about five weeks in really tried to kill Lucy like went for her throat it, luckily like it was a serious I was situation. able to easily separate them and kept them separated but also it was important to have a rescue that took that dog back then from me so asking those questions too of okay what if something what if all hell breaks loose <laughs> and things go wrong what happens then you know mm-hmm. And I even saw him, that dog, two months later at the shelter. And the dog was like so excited to see me. And then it saw Lucy and it was like, again. And I was like, oh, you still have big feelings about Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we do always want to say safety first. So we're always considering safety first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And just kind of on that note, like if something does, if all hell does break a loose, I think the one thing. Yeah, it's important to have that conversation with the rescue ahead of time. But then I also think that sometimes if your rescue doesn't have like a physical shelter presence, sometimes you do need to kind of wait it out a little bit until they find another foster. And so just have like plan in place to to separate them. But but yeah, the rescue is going to do whatever it takes, because again, this should be a positive win-win-win experience overall. And so they're always going to support you in that way. But it is it is good to ask, like if something does happen, how quickly do you think that we could potentially find another foster Mm -hmm. for this dog? And then I also will say, again, don't feel bad. Not every foster situation is going to work amazingly. There's some are going to be much more challenging than others. Some are not going to work out. And I think that's okay. They're, they're still going to find their fit. So yeah. Well, 
We have gone on for almost an hour and a half. So (laughs) is there anything that you can think of that you want to add or again, highlight? Earlier, Kelsey talked about putting a dog out there as a foster where you're thinking about possibly adopting this dog, but yet you're still putting it out. And I would say, be honest with yourself if you're in that position and talk through that with your rescue. Also some grounded friends, you know, bounce that off from people. (laughs) (laughs) Because I did have a family come and meet Julius and I loved this family. They would have been perfection. Julius tried to bite their dog. So it clearly did not work out, but they had said that they weren't going to look at rescue anymore. I mean, they were rescue only people, but they were not going to look at foster dogs anymore because what happened was they kept going to fosters and then the foster would be like, you know what? They'd fall in love with this dog. And then the foster go, you know what? I decided I'm going to keep the dog. Oh, that's a flip side. When I, and I get it from both sides because I I understand that sense of panic as the foster thinking, I just realized how much I love this dog. This is real. I can't do this. I can't give up this dog anymore. But also from the other side, you're letting someone else get attached to this dog Mm. and then kind of pulling the rug out from under their feet. And they said, they had told their friend, no, I don't think we want to go through a foster, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just, this keeps happening. And she, she laid out and she's like, here's her nine different fosters over the years I've known her. She's never adopted any. Mm -hmm. She's not planning. She has her feet wet it's not this is not her first time and so they walked her through that and then they came and and it didn't work out which was again heartbreaking but at least for a different reason you right know, it wasn't that that I was I was pulling the rug out from under them so mm-hmm. just possibly be cautious of that too and consider other people's feelings when fostering yeah, yeah. I think I think that goes back to the communication and being really gut honest with yourself and then making sure that you're communicating those feelings to the group that you're working with and then doing that gut check. Like Christy said, if you have a real, real logical friend, maybe you check in with them and say, hey, I really need you to sit down with me and have a conversation so that you can make sure that what you're putting out there is actually what you're planning to go forward with. That doesn't mean you can't ever change your mind, but it's a real bummer to hear that someone is very prone to adopting, but that they were nervous to go back through a foster. What were you going to say, Kelsey? Yeah. The only thing I was going to add, I think, yes, I think be realistic with yourself going into it. I think the communication, so just reiterating all those facts, but I do think the other thing is well, two other things. So number one, like panic can be real. We talked about that a little bit earlier when I was talking about adopting Munchkin. Yes, there was a sense of that of, okay, it's hitting me that I could lose her and you know what that looks like. And I've working as a foster program manager, I have had people where I've like, I've said 100%, are you going to adopt? I need a definitive answer by this date. And they're like, nope, we're not adopting. We're not adopting. We're not adopting. And then the day that the dog is adoptable and has adoption appointments, they call and they're frantic and they're like, is there any way I can still adopt the dog? And, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which leads me into my next point of knowing the rescues adoption process and policies. A lot of rescues are amazing and will give the fosters priority. However, I think you have to be you know, willing to give them that advance notice. So for example, if Christy decided right now at this minute that she wanted to adopt Julius, I don't think they would give her that priority at this, at this point. However, if at any point that she decided 
decided that prior to him going to like a trial home or anything like that, like I'm sure she would have. So I think just kind of check on those policies as well, because you don't want to adopt just out of the sense of panic. You, you need to kind of trust the process a little bit as well. Yeah. We need this to be a positive experience for everyone. And that's the foster, the animal involved and the potential family, as well as the organization that you're trying to support. So Well, that kind of brings us down to where should people go if they want more information about fostering? And Kelsey, we're going to let you take this away because you were a foster coordinator. So, yeah. So I think honestly, obviously Google is a great resource, um, (laughs) but I think start getting involved in, in rescues in your area in terms of doing your research about the options. So I think there are county shelters pretty much everywhere. There's humane societies pretty much everywhere. There's a lot of local rescues and organizations and almost every single one of their websites is going to have a section on fostering and just their process and information about it. I'm sure there's also resources like this podcast that exists out there that just provide you with more information. So I think just start by kind of narrowing down some organizations that you would like to potentially get involved with and then reading about their foster process. A lot of organizations also do require you to go through an orientation. So really no harm done if you sign up to go through um, their foster program. You go through the orientation. And again, we talked about this earlier, but maybe the organization's not a good fit for you, but that's your time to really ask all those questions about what is your expectation of me? What is, what do I need to do to care for the dogs, the time commitment, the adoption process, all of that. So I think that's a really good way to do some trial and error and get some of your questions answered. But yeah, almost every single rescue is going to want to have a foster base. It does amazing things for them and they're going to have some information on it. Yeah. And I would say too, if you go to an orientation, you might not decide that's the organization for you, but you might learn something that you didn't realize, or it might trigger you to ask some questions of yourself or of another organization you go to check out that you didn't think of before. So it's really generally not going to be time lost. It's going to be an educational experience and allow you to have more information going forward. I think that the number one thing that Christy is going to say is that if you have a friend who fosters to talk to them, am I right? You know me. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. Stop. Get out of my brain. (laughs) But talk about that. Yeah, I do think if you have a friend that fosters, they can give you kind of the ins and outs. I think a lot of uh, rescues have the same bullet points, like, oh, we pay for food and we pay for this and we cover everything. And But they don't always, it doesn't always line up the same. So there's different responsibilities that you sometimes learn after the fact, not because they're trying to hide anything, but probably because they don't realize fosters need that information up front. So if If you have friends who are fostering, you might ask them, who do you foster through? What do you like about that? Or would you foster through them again? Because I can tell you different places I fostered through what the benefits of each one was. All of them are such great, reputable rescues. I can tell you what the benefits are, what maybe what was challenging or what wasn't challenging, working with different ones and what commitment they expected from me realistically. So you kind of get the inside scoop on that. I know one of my friends started fostering through Humane Society and she's like, they have it dialed in. So like that was a great first foster experience because they literally 
literally walk you through every single step you could ever think of. She's like, and then I learned to branch out from there. I don't need my hand held every time. I can I can try these other rescues. And, and so now she fosters all the chihuahuas in Arizona. <laughs> Shout out to Allison. Yep. <laughs> Is Ella adoptable at this point? Yeah, it's technically adoptable after she gets spayed on June 2nd, but she is up on Pet Finder right now just to start kind of spreading the word and getting her out there. So she is available for meet and greets. I am fostering Ella through One Love. So Ella, just a little bit about her story too, and just about my experience with One Love and fostering, but Ella came in through the county shelter. She was a medical mess, basically had no skin, really bad cold. And so One Love generously offered to sponsor her to provide her the medical care that she really needed. So throughout my experience with Ella, there have been multiple vet visits, uh, handfuls of medications. And now we're at a point where she is doing amazing. She's thriving. She's getting, you know, multiple medicated baths a week, but she's doing so much better and looking so much better. One Love has just been amazing just in terms of providing like the support I need. So I've had some medical fosters before, but like with Ella, I mean, I haven't necessarily gone through a ton of skin issues. Millie's had some, but every skin issue tends to be different. So there's been a lot of questions along the way. And this is also just a great example of kind of picking the organizations too, because with this particular foster, I was like, I I do have questions. I do need support. And you want someone who's responsive and, you know, willing to provide the care that, that the dog needs. And so mm-hmm. it's just been a really helpful experience to, to have a dog that needs a lot of medical care and to have a rescue that's really willing to like back it and provide the care that she needs. So, so again, just like all things to consider throughout the process. And well, I- I was just going to say one more thing, but like I've been fostering for so long and I still have questions. So don't be afraid to ask the questions. Well, and we also know that if you have a foster like Ella through One Love, then you get the benefit of the amazing Dr. Grant, who is a good friend of all of ours and happens to be a shelter veterinarian. So then she is your supportive medical team, which is incredible. So if anyone is looking for an adorable little like Pocket pity. She's 40 pounds, right? Yep. She's, she's available. so cute. She is like, so cute. I kind of want her. Like, I she's know. So cute. <laughs> and at this point, we're saying she's dog social with Millie and Munchie for sure. Yep. And a young dog with energy. So she is available. I think One Love Arizona is where they would find her. And yep. also on Pet Finder. Julius, we're going to call adopted at this point, we but are. still yep. in his trial period. And so that's amazing news. So yes. if you have any questions, if you guys think of anything that we didn't cover here, by all means, reach out to us on Instagram. Oh my gosh, I'm going to remember at sometimes their side eye is our handle. Yeah. We are going to, I'm going to call Kelsey out here. We're going to tag Kelsey in our foster episode information on Instagram. So you can also ask yeah. her questions directly. We have Christy as a resource as well. So if you guys listen to this episode and you're like, oh, wow, I'd really like to ask that person a question, you will be able to do that. I think that we will leave it there. I really appreciate your thoughts and your time, Kelsey. I know that Christy and I were really excited when you said you were going to do this with us because I just feel like you have so much experience in so many different ways and you are so pro foster, but to make sure that it's a good fit for everybody, like you said, a win, win, win. And that's what we want. So everybody, we thank you for your time and we look forward to talking to you again in two weeks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Bye, everybody. Bye.